everybody gets all excited when they see an eagle, and the Last Green Valley has a midwinter eagle survey. They team up with the DEEP. Full disclosure, we tried to book this show to be after the survey so we could talk about the results, but we couldn't coordinate with the folks that are here today after. We do this show every year. This will be the first time we've actually done the show before the survey takes place, which is this Saturday, so we can just talk about how the survey works and just about the eagle population in Connecticut in general. Folks, good morning. Thank you for coming in today. Brian Hess, our guest this morning, uh, Connecticut DEP wildlife biologist. What is the Midwinter Eagle Survey? The Midwinter Eagle Survey is a nationwide citizen science effort to try to get our hands around what the wintering eagle population is in the lower 48 states. So uh, there are routes, uh, standardized routes that have been counted uh, across the across the country, and a, a, a huge variety of organizations participate in this. Then the the um, it's actually the Army Corps of Engineers currently who owns the data set. Uh, so we submit, we you know put together all of our, our our numbers and then submit it to them. And then every five or so years, they'll put out a new uh, analysis looking at the trends of of, of data. So. I know you try to standardize the data. One thing that I think helps standardize it, too, is you do it almost the exact same time every year. It was the 12th last year. It's the 11th this year. Does that kind of keep things at the same time of the year so that you're seeing the same type of population each year? Exactly. That's the point. One, of the, one of the points, one of the ways that they sort of get around the the natural noise that comes into, in, into something like this is to try to standardize how much effort is expent uh, every year. So uh, that way we can, they can say, you know, we tried exactly as hard to find an eagle on this spot one year as we did the next year. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and then from that, it's, it's easier to draw conclusions about trends and populations and things like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's as standardized as possible. And uh, when you have this many organizations participating, you know, making things as clean as possible is, uh, is a good thing. So, Chief Ranger Bill Reed, where do the surveyors go to look for the eagles? Well, we go to where they are. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll bet if you didn't, you wouldn't find any. <laughs> well, yeah. they are primarily a fishing bird. They, they nest near rivers and ponds and lakes and uh, fishes. They're one of their primary food sources. Uh, and so that's where we go. And, and we, so we will be at several uh, lake and pond locations. And we will be in several river locations where there's good view lines up and down, up and down the river. Um, we've been helping this for 10 years now. This is uh, almost our 10th year uh, helping out with the survey. Uh, it really came out of um, after we uh, did our Source to Sea program in 2009. We paddled all the rivers to Long Island Sound. And we had a great time. We are teaching about water quality and wildlife, and we are teaching about recreational opportunities on the rivers. We saw eagles everywhere. Everywhere we saw eagles. And then that winter, I saw the results of the midwinter survey from 2009. said there was one eagle in northeastern Connecticut counted on the Gwinnabog River. <laughs> so I got in touch with folks, and I said, you want some help? Uh, because we know where they are. And so uh, 10 years later, it's grown to a, a, a great opportunity for us to engage in citizen science. And we grew from just going to one location to now, you know, we have we right now we have uh, last year we had 35 volunteers 15 survey teams and that's the important thing all of the survey teams have a team leader 
who's been doing it since we started in that location. And it makes Brian more confident of the data coming from that team that there's someone who knows what eagles look like, they know the, t the terrain, they've been doing it. And people like to join us and do that, and so we'll add them to teams. I'll add the rookies to the teams where I know I've got an experienced team leader. And so that's why we do it, is because we saw that there was an opportunity to help uh, Connecticut DEEP do the, do the process, so we jumped on it. People who get outside in the, in the woods a lot get excited when they see unusual birds. For me, when I'm on the rail trails around here, I get excited when I see herons. And there is a pond out in North Windham where I saw 20 of them a couple years ago. Some of the nests aren't there anymore, but still, I get excited about that. Tell me what it's like, any of you can jump in here, when you see an eagle. That's got to be special. I mean, do you get, do you get like giddy when you see an eagle out there? I, I have to admit that it is, it is never, uh, I, I never take it for granted. Um, the other thing that I help uh, Brian do up here is there are, uh, and we can talk about it more later, but there are a variety of nests here. And, and there's a couple of nests that I've been the observer for and keep track of for the state so that they know what's happened, how many do we have, how many young are there and all that. And that's when I really get excited because I'm there for an, a period of time observing and trying to see how many young are in the nest when they peek their heads up above and all that. And there are times when that mother eagle will, know that I'm there and she'll stare at me and and it, it sends a chill up my spine. It is really something else when an eagle is bearing down on you with their <laughs> with their incredible eyesight. So. Brian, I bet you get excited when you see them too, even though you work in this field for a living. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one really gets into this field because they're going to make a lot of money or anything like that. So, you know, we have but to take... But eagles. We do. We have to take our rewards when we get them. And, uh, and, 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 and actually being out there and... and getting away from the desk and, and going out and seeing something that's supposed to be happening that's happening because it, in part of, of the uh, actions that the you know that my agency is taking to make this possible uh, it's it's just a really really uh, special and rewarding feeling um, when you're out in the woods can you tell the difference between an eagle nest and a heron nest and a regular bird nest or are they all just big old bushes up in the trees so uh, e eagle nests are special in that they're really kind of tough to be mis to mistake for anything else. Because they're big. They're big, and they're they're used year after year. And the, the pair of adults will come, you know, generally it's you know mid mid to late January and start working on that nest again. Uh, they'll come back to that nest and add material, make a, you know repair anything that has fallen down in the in the past year, um, and and these things can get enormous like. Uh, you know, 10, 15 feet tall in a in the crook of a you know in the split of a pine tree or something like that. Um, they can really just uh, and 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 weigh literal tons. Um, so it's tough to mistake uh, an eagle nest uh, for for other things. That said, a heron nest. Uh, we've had a couple of situations in the state where a heron rookery, the eagle eagles will come in. They come back in you know February. Herons aren't going to be there you know for another month or two. Uh, eagles will take the biggest nest and sort of enlarge it, uh, you know, put on an addition out back. And, uh, uh, and then that heron rookery quickly becomes an eagle territory and ceases to be a heron rookery anymore. Right, so. the herons take <laughs> off. <laughs> if I were a heron, I'd probably take off too for those right. eagles. And Fran Kafalas, uh, assistant director of the Last Green Valley. People may not be aware of this, but this isn't just another month. January is eagle month in the Last Green Valley. What does that mean? 
Um, it means that when I started working at the Last Green Valley, I got like overexcited about how many bald eagles were in the region. So I went to Bill, and um, he had already been doing some programs. We started, we organized an acorn adventure around bald eagles, and we decided that we were just going to take the month to celebrate the success of the bald eagle in the Last Green Valley National Heritage Corridor because they're really the ultimate good news of conservation in the region. Um, they're back because the water's clean. The, you know, there's fish for them to eat. So um, they, they they epitomize so much that's happening that's positive for the region. Well, the midwinter eagle survey is probably the highlight of Eagle Month. Are there other things that go on this month? <laughs> well, yes. Um, Bill does not want me to tell you. No, that's that, okay. That he's. Uh, I've re resigned to it now. <laughs> he's hosting a. Uh, it's, just, it's just it's just the three of us here. It's not. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody. Okay. So, We're good. Um, uh, fortunately, um, Bill is hosting a bald eagle hike on the 18th. Um, unfortunately, oh, I know why because it's full up. It's full. It is. <laughs> we full. can talk about it though. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I mean. I, this is just an indication of how excited people get about bald eagles. Um, we, I think he yeah. hit capacity within 24 hours of us yeah. announcing the hike. Right. Um, and uh, so, so well, that's what, full. <laughs> you know, what, what, what I've done in the past is I would do a talk about bald eagles in you know, a classroom setting and talking you know, a lot of the information I get from Brian about the numbers and nesting in the region and my experience observing them. And then we go down to the trout hatchery in Central Village and look for them. And I get 20, 25 people. This year I said, let's not do the talk. Let's just go down to the hatchery and I can hand out information for people. Well, I stopped taking reservations at 56, knowing that we were not gonna, no one's going to hear me and all that. And I split the groups in two. I've got a couple of people that are really good eagle uh, observers. They'll take one group, I'll take the other. And I've been steering people to our acorn adventure program on the 25th. If you really want to come, come to that program. And while it's geared for children, um, it's not like we're all, we can all line up along the Roseland Yep. Lake and at Roseland Park and watch the eagles come in and we will we will know we see an eagle because we've got horizon wings coming that day and that's on the 25th. It's the raptor rehabilitation. The ra yeah, yeah yeah so ATCA yeah. Will, will, will be there um, but I also uh, people that that you know contacted me too late I said you know you can go to the hatchery anytime and that is a phenomenal place to see eagles. Uh, that's where I'm going to be with the Midwinter survey on Saturday with my team. Um, and look them up online. Uh, they're pretty much sunrise sun to sunset. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a huge field there, great view lines. A mile of the Quinnebog River borders that field. So uh, the likelihood of seeing eagles is really good there, especially in January and February. Brian, one of my old softball teammates, Farmer Dan from Ashford, called in when he heard you're going to be on, and he said, is it normal to be see eagles sitting in their nest this time of the year because he has them on his property. Yeah, yeah. So a absolutely, it's uh, this is a very normal time of the year to see eagles kind of rejoining as a pair, working on that nest together. This is part part of their you know uh, uh, pair bonding uh, activities that they've you know planned out for themselves is to uh, you know we're going to go work on the nest this weekend or whatever. Um, so yeah, so they're going to. Uh, probably be uh, repairing that nest, working on it, um, you know, mating, that sort of thing between now and mid-February. Um, I Generally, our earliest egg laying usually happens between February 12th and February 15th uh, for our earliest nest, and most of our nests are laid at the end of February, beginning of March. So, Bill, where will you be 
on Saturday. Do you have your uh, Eagle spotting location already staked out? You bet. I um, uh, I did the first mid-winter survey when we first started it, and I went to where I know Eagles are, and that's at the Fish Hatchery, uh, and that's in Central Village. Um, I have, I think I've got about seven people with me uh, this year. I've got a couple of people that um, have been with me for in the past that are good good spotters. And then I have some new people. I like to bring the newbies with me. Um, and the reason is that we've got a pretty good chance of seeing eagles. I've, I Look at it this way. I've never not seen eagles when I've done the survey there. And so I'm trying to get these folks excited and, and jazzed up. But that will we'll be there. Starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. And it's an early day for us, um, and we've got teams throughout the area, again, as I mentioned before. Afterwards, we all go up to Cozy Corner Restaurant in War Egan, because it's sort of centrally located. We sit down. Brian, you should come. Uh, <laughs> we sit down, and we have a big breakfast. We take over the whole back room, and they all start to fill out their data sheets. And the nice thing is, is that Brian provides us with maps of all our areas. And so while you're busy looking for eagles, you simply, you know, okay, there's an immature, and you mark where it is in your location on the map and the time. Um, and that's important to log in the time. And then with the maps, we all sit down and we then fill out our data sheets, um, which is how many we saw, um, immature or, or an adult. And importantly, we log in, all the volunteers sign it so that Brian can collect all those hours of volunteer time that have gone in part of this citizen science program. So the hatchery is where you will find me uh, at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know, why don't you fill it out when you're actually there seeing the eagles? Why is it done after the fact? Well, it, 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 and it, sometimes it's raining. <laughs> it, it may sometimes rain it's Saturday. really cold yeah. and my fingers don't work. <laughs> uh, and I have all the information available. Uh, Where in your it, head? It, it, well, oh, no, on the map. I'm filling it out <laughs> as, I, as I'm going. And uh, I, I have turned in forms that way in the past, and they're kind of smudgy and all that. And so I'd rather have a nice clean form. Um, Don't use a flare pen. Uh, no. It would run. Right. Well, I um, use a pencil in the field. That, that, that helps, and then we fill it in. See that? You're, effort, you're so. a seasoned veteran at this stuff. I've, we've been doing it for a while, and it's a, it's a great tradition, and it's a lot of fun. Fran, you going out? I am. I will be with Ranger Bill because he doesn't really trust me to go out on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Fran's a good spotter. And so, she brings along her son, who is a real a budding, <laughs> budding uh, birder naturalist. He's a pretty amazing young, young man. We're always happy to have Joe with us. How many years have you done it, Fran? This will be my third year. And it's exciting every year. The first year, we saw birds up way high. Um, we saw a lot of bald eagles, a lot of juveniles. We saw a golden eagle. Yeah, two um, years ago. That was, eagle, that was yeah. pretty exciting for me. Yeah. Last year, we got some pretty good views of, of bald eagles just sort of hanging out on the trees. Um, right. it, it For me, every time I see one, it's exciting. I almost drove off of Interstate 95 over the holidays because I saw one flying over and around the old Lyme area. And I was like, what? Yeah. oh, whoops, i got to watch the road. <laughs> so, Brian, what's the difference between a bald eagle and a golden eagle? And what's the frequency around here? Is it mostly bald with some goldens? That Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, bald and golden eagles, are they're, they're different um the different species um they're actually in completely different uh taxonom or you know uh, divisions within the taxonomic tree of raptors uh so wow that was a big phrase there. Tax- he's a wildlife biologist <laughs> <laughs> so, taxonomic I'll just tree say, they're, of raptors they're, they're not all that closely related so uh um uh, bald eagles are a part of a worldwide family of of, of sea eagles so there's uh, i think there's uh 
I think nine different species of those around the world, something like that. Uh, and then uh, golden eagles are actually distributed around the world. They're more closely related to a lot of the hawks that you'd see out there. Uh, they have a lot of adaptations for, um, you know, uh, eating, th catching and eating things on land, uh, as opposed to catching fish, um, which which most of the sea eagles those have specialized adaptations for that. So around here, mostly you're going to be seeing um, uh, bald eagles. You're, we we do get the rare transient you know, golden eagle passing through, mm -hmm. but they're, they don't stay all that long. Which and made that me, one that Fran saw even more special then. Absolutely. Right. Uh, right. And I'll tell you how that happened. I had, I had helped that, it was two years ago, I'd helped with the Christmas bird count, um, which is a whole other program. Uh, but anyway, the Christmas bird count has been going on for a long, long while. Um, uh, and it's organized with the Audubon Society. And so I signed up for one of the teams out this neck of the woods. And the hatchery is one of the locations where we were. And so I was with some phenomenally expert birders looking at any type of bird. Um, and a report had come in from one of their friends of a golden eagle there, an immature golden eagle, and they sent him a picture. Now, we did not see it that day, but I got in touch with the manager at the hatchery, and I said, hey, you know, I heard about, oh, yeah, it's here. Is it still here? Well, I think it's still here. And so as soon as I got out of the truck at 7 o'clock on that morning, down, it was almost like he came down to say, hey, yeah, I'm here. Put me on your data sheet and classic uh, immature uh, golden eagle. And if I had not heard that and known that there was one in the area, I very well might have thought it was an immature because uh, it kind of came swooping down. Um, but anyway, for sure. And I understand there's golden eagles back again this year there. And so I hope to be able to record another one this year, Brian. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Now, we've done this show every January, but every other time we've done it, it's been after the event has taken place. We can talk about what they've seen. We couldn't book it that way this year. However, the advantage we have doing it this way, I think, is that now we tell people about this in advance, and maybe people get inspired and they want to take part in it. Mm -hmm. How does a listener, a member of the general public, get involved mm -hmm. in the Midwinter Eagle Survey this Saturday? Well, um, you can uh, get in touch with me uh, at the Lash Green Valley. Um, I say that most of the teams are, are well stocked, but we certainly have room for, for a few more. Um, and um, uh, my, my email is bill at tlgv.org. Um, I don't know if you've got room at this late date for some of the teams that you coordinate, Brian. You're um, statewide. Yeah, I mean, we we might be able to find mm -hmm. uh, spots for some people at this at, at this late point. Uh, yeah, just uh, send me an email. My email is Brian B R I A N dot S H E S S at C T dot gov. Let me know wh where where you are, uh, and we'll see if we can figure something out. One of the things that always intrigues me is the quality control you have on these surveys to make sure that you're not counting the same eagle twice. They don't always sit still. They fly around. Is there a way to make sure that it's, it's a unique eagle and not the one you just counted a half an hour ago? That, that's one of the good reasons for filling out your, your, your survey <laughs> form afterwards is you can actually compare notes with others and say, oh, you know, this, Thank you, Brian. this is likely a double <laughs> count right here. Um, but, yeah, another thing that uh, I will do is, you know, I'll um, – when I get all of the, the forms back in my office in February or something like that, uh, we'll lay out a bunch of uh, uh, consecutive um, segments of river and, and just sort of make sure that there's not any suspicious birds that are disappearing from one site at, you know, uh, 8.50 a.m. and showing up uh, at the next site 
at you know nine oh five. Right, and and that's that's the key to it. You know, I'm there are there are observers uh, about three miles upstream of us um, on the Quinnebog River, um, and so if I see an adult eagle at eight o'clock and it's roosting for a while, and then at eight twenty it starts flying north up the river. I make note of that so that when Brian is looking at the Route 205 uh, data data sheet and they sees that at you know at 8:30 an adult eagle flew upstream, um, it very well may may be the same eagle. We we do our best to account for things like that. At the end of the day, this is a it's an index. It's not a full census. So you know there's probably eagles out there that we're missing. You know there there may be some error in the in, in the numbers, but. Uh, if we if we just keep things consistent, we've got an index of what's going on in the state, and that's usually a really really useful thing to have. I've heard a lot about the Quinnebog River. Are there eagle counts going on on some of our rivers in this neck of the woods, like the Natchaug or the mm-hmm. Chautauqua yeah. or the Willimantic River? Yeah, I have uh, I have survey volunteers on the Natchaug and the Chautauqua, and the Chautauqua gets excellent numbers. Um, it's a very popular river for eagles it's wide it's slow in some parts it's like a big long pond um and it's um and the natchog also is a very clean river uh we have been able to do the willimantic in the past we haven't had as good numbers in the willimantic over the years and my volunteer for the willimantic is is not available this year um and uh so yeah we use those other rivers also let's talk a little bit about the eagle population that we have around here what you learned last year. Brian, how many eagles did you count in 2019, and do you think you'll see more this year? So across the state, in during the midwinter eagle survey in 2019, uh, so it was January 12th, uh, we counted 141 bald eagles, so only bald eagles last year. Um, I, I kind of anticipate that this year we might be a little bit lower than that, um, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, we've had a bit of a warm stretch, so a lot of uh, uh, a lot of lakes have open spots where it's not iced over. Um, that includes lakes to the north of us. So eagles that you know normally hang out in Massachusetts and Vermont and New Hampshire, they might not have moved south to find you know the open waters of Connecticut. So you know we might be uh, looking at re- uh, a more dispersed eagle population this year. Um, so, uh, in, in addition to that, too, I, I, mean, we're, I think we're anticipating a little bit of rain on Saturday, or the potential for it. So that that might uh, might also impact uh, you know visibility and things like that. Is it just visibility, or does the rain have any effect on where the eagles hang out? Um, mostly, it'll just probably keep them pu- uh, keep them still. They're gonna you know not be as likely to move out of the the roosts that they had picked out the night before. We have not had a below-average day since before Christmas. Tell me more about the effect that has. Let's say it was an average or a normal January when everything is frozen over. Some areas are frozen over now. But let's say that you didn't have any open water areas like there are now because it's been so mild, and it will be mild on the day you're doing the survey. Does that? How does that affect the, the, the presence of the eagles and their migration pattern? Right. So eagles are they're not migratory in the same sense that like, you know, our, our neotropical migrants, the ones that travel from, you know, between the Northeast and uh, South America, that, that those are migratory. Eagles, Butterflies do that too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, eagles are more migratory in the way that they're just looking to find an easy lunch. So they're, um, are we all? Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, they're, you know, if, 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 
fishing is good around where they are, they'll stay put. Um, but if things get too cold, if uh, uh, the, their lakes or rivers that they're fishing freeze up, um, they're going to just you know move south just as far as they need to go uh, to find a spot where they can fish. Uh, and they will also take they'll so they'll follow those river corridors down south. So a lot of times we get you know especially along the Connecticut River just big big groups of eagles. They'll also queue in on one another and form these aggregations uh, during the the winter where you'll have uh, big groups of, um, uh, of of eagles hanging out for the you know during those coldest t- times of the year. And just a little off-topic thing regarding herons. I'm kind of big on those. I enjoy watching them, and they show up uh, around the springtime area. They have their babies. You can watch the babies go from little to big, and then they all take off. Where do they go? Where are they now? Where were they in September? Because they're not there anymore. Right, right. So they're heading south as well. They're not. I don't think they're going all the way to you know the. Uh, they're they're doing kind of a similar thing to what the eagles are doing. They're going south to where they can find, um, you know, reliable fishing sources and open open water. Um, and then, are these eagles that we're seeing on the Last Green Valley and the uh, DEP Midwinter Eagle Survey are they banded? Some of them are, yeah. So uh, we do band a lot of we do band uh, birds every year um, in Connecticut. We don't do all that many, but it's usually between. We we shoot for try to to band at five or five to ten nests per year. Um, I, uh, Massachusetts has a much more comprehensive banding program than we do. They've got uh, more staff dedicated to that sort of thing. Um, so uh, so yeah, absolutely, there are banded birds out there. What they'll have is on one leg, they'll have a silver band with a unique nine-digit number issued by the federal government. Um, and that's uh, uh, regulated by the U.S. Geological Survey's Bird Banding Laboratory in Maryland. And then on the, uh, the other leg, they'll have a color band. Uh, our, in Connecticut, we use a black band with silver letters on it. In Massachusetts, they use an orange band with silver letters on it. In New York, I think they use a blue band. So you can tell a little bit about their origins based on those colors. And those, the numbers on the color bands, you can see those with a good digital camera or a spotting scope and read them and, and report them. Bill, tell me about the way that these eagle surveys work. Do most people sit in one spot? Do you hike a trail and look for them, meaning you're mobile, or see all the above? Um, It's done a variety of different ways depending upon the location. Um, Some people will sit in a vehicle and just look out over a lake. Uh, Some people will will traverse a trail. Um, Most of the locations where we're doing, uh, people are moving from one or two locations. I stay at the hatchery. We walk the circuit trail that goes around or row that goes around about a 400-acre field. Um, And so people are going to do it in a variety of different ways. The Chautauqua team has like three or four locations. And so they'll spend maybe an hour one location and quickly go down a few miles to another location. And so they'll move to two or three different locations. So will the Norwich team. Uh, The Putnam team just goes up and down the Putnam River Trail. Uh, this year they are going to go over to West Thompson Lake also because um, the Corps of Engineer folks, there's some staff changes there, so they can't do it there this year, so they'll go over there. Um, and so it depends. It depends on it depends on the location. One thing I'll just add to the banding thing, um, I've got people that observe uh, nests in the Lash Green Valley. They sort of report to Brian and report through me to Brian. And I'm always asking people, get pictures of the legs. I want to see if there's leg bands. And we do know because of that, 
some interesting things. For example, the nest that was in Wyndham for a number of years, over about a 10-year period, uh, the observer there was a brilliant, uh, very good uh, eagle person. is a volunteer, J.P. Bobineau. Hey, hi, J.P., if you're out there. Um, she, uh, she was taking pictures and observing this nest for many years. One year discovered that the nest just didn't look the same. It just hadn't been rebuilt the same way. And I asked her, well, what's going on with your pictures? Go back and look at pictures. Well, she discovered uh, by looking at pictures and leg bands that the first time that they had a nest there, to the, when she observed it the second, the last time, it was a different female. Something happened to the, the female that was there before. We wouldn't have known that if both of those females hadn't been banded with Massachusetts bands. Um, I also know that uh, the male that's up in Union at a nest up there, uh, Massachusetts band, uh, we're able to get that data back to the state of Connecticut, I mean, state of Massachusetts, where we had the number sequence. I said, oh, that bird fell out of its nest as a hatchling, was raised in captivity, and then released back into the wild in the, Mount Wach in the Wachusett Reservoir area. So it's important data. It really helps us understand more about this, uh, this critically important bird and their populations. Brian, if I want to attract eagles to my backyard, <laughs> aside from creating a lake or a river, is there something that we can do to attract eagles? Does bird seed work? <laughs> I've never seen bird seed attract an eagle to a bird feeder. No, and I think that that's probably unlikely to happen. Uh, <laughs> as far as attracting birds, uh, eagles are probably one of the one of the tougher ones for your average, you know, backyard right. backyard bird watcher to attract. Uh, I mean, if you have if you have a big tree that has a lot of open space, like open limbs in it, you know, that's probably as best as you can right. do. There's one thing you could do. If you have an open field, go drab a deer carcass out in the middle of it. Uh, because eagles, eagles get their food three ways. They catch it, they steal it, and I've seen them steal it. In fact, they've been known to follow ospreys around and try to get uh, ospreys uh, catch, or they'll scavenge it. Um, and in fact, I was up at the Audubon Society in Connecticut uh, last month doing some Christmas shopping, and someone, the state, had found a roadkill deer, dragged brought it to them, they put it out in a field and set up a spotting scope on it. So everybody that came in that day, they looked at that spotting scope and there sure enough was an immature bald eagle feeding on it. So you can do that if you want to attract eagles. Well, my, what about my theory about building a river in your backyard? That might help. That's probably better than birdseed. If, it, if it's got a good place to fish, it, 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 it may, that may do the trick. Get the Army Corps to come out and put a river in my backyard. Uh, yeah, and I, I will add one of the things, too, about the, the deer. Like a roadkill deer is a, a, a good example. But, uh, you know, if, if, you, if it is one that you have shot yourself, uh, it's probably best not to offer those up as carcasses because right. eagles are susceptible, susceptible to lead right. toxicity, which they can acquire. Right. Uh, you know, they'll... When they you know approach a, uh, a a dead carcass, they're gonna try to find the easiest way to, of entry, and a lot of times that's a wound channel. Right. So uh, that that can be um, uh, a source of uh, potential trouble for them. But there wouldn't be lead toxicity if it's hit by a car, though, would it? No, no, exactly. You're talking no. about somebody shoots it. Yes, right. exactly. Right. I'm so. 
And that's actually one of the things that's most dangerous to eagles is lead toxicity. The folks over at Horizon Wings that have helped to rehab injured or sick birds, it seems more than often when they get an eagle, it's a result of lead poisoning, and they very frequently don't survive it. Uh, from Sometimes either, people don't either. Well, it's either from shot or it can be from lead weights and the like. And so there's this whole movement to get the lead out of, out of, out of shot uh, as, as a result of the Now, toxicity. Brian, you gave me a nice colored sheet here and it says 2019 statewide survey midwinter eagle survey results the midwinter eagle survey was january 12 2019 during the morning of the survey the weather was cold and clear starting in the mid-teens ending in the low 20s while the number of volunteers and observation sites were consistent with years past this year's count was less than the record high from 2018 likely due to a warmer december and less ice national results analyzing results between 1986 and 2010 indicate continued increase across the East Coast. Next year's Midwinter Eagle Survey will be January 11, 2020, coming up this weekend. But what the graph that dates back to 1979 shows, on average, a clear increase. Does this mean there are more eagles, or are we having more people on the surveys, therefore seeing more eagles? It's a little bit of both. Um, definitely there are more eagles out there without without a doubt um, but this is also a program uh, and a monitoring project that has grown in size over the years so when you look at uh, my you know uh, data here that's just uh, straight up this is how many eagles we counted um, there is that uh, uh, the issue of increased effort so um, uh, you know, we, we can see a trend, but I'm, I'm reluctant to say that this is like a 100% indicative of a growing population. When they do this national analysis where they, they will standardize this, th these things and look for specific, they will pick out specific routes that they will uh, include with this nationwide analysis that have um, uh, a, a history of, of observation, um, consistent observation year over year and eagles seen along those routes so that's when when i say that the uh, across the east coast things are increasing that's from that uh, nationwide analysis that uh, was done that which includes the 1986 through 2010 um, they're working on the 2015 data right now bill why are eagles important to us well you know they're they're our national emblem um have been um since the um right after the revolutionary war i think 1782 or something like that they were selected as the national emblem um they're on our flagpoles they're on our currency and they're on the uniforms of and, and emblems of those who serve in the military um and you know that that's a, gr a great reason um but more than anything else, this success story of their resurgence is, is a wonderful story. Um, you know, it was really DDT, post-World War II use of DDT, that decimated their population uh, nationwide, um, especially in areas where DDT was used for mosquito control and other types, of, uh, other types of things. And it got into the food chain, and it got into the fish, and the fishing birds got into their system. And... DDT imp impacted uh, uh, the uh, the female's ability to create a good solid egg. It didn't kill the bird necessarily. It really reduced its population numbers because the eggs were damaged or soft. Well, you know, after Silent Spring and understanding of what we were doing and the work of Rachel Carson, the scientist author, we understood what was happening to bird population. And so we, we changed that. We did that. It's a success story. 
Um, and in today's day and age, those success stories are, are, should be heralded, that we saw something that was wrong in the environment, we banned DDT, and now look what's happened. Our national emblem, the most amazing bird when you see it in the wild, they're back, and they're back in great numbers. Well, we did that, and that's pretty cool. What a great story that is. And Fran, let me get you involved one more time here. You touched earlier this morning on the January 25th Acorn Adventure Program. Tell me more about that and any other programs that the last Green Valley has in the next couple of months that might draw some people's attention. Sure, Wayne. Um, the Acorn Adventure is a series we do all year long. Every month we try and get it. It's geared toward kids, really um, grammar school aged kids. Um, but all ages are welcome, and, and we find that uh, we have as many oaks as acorns often <laughs> at our programs, especially the Bald Eagle program. Um, and uh, so this year on the 25th, we're going to be out at Roseland Park in Woodstock, Connecticut, and there's plenty of parking. We don't have to say, uh, you know, cap that, that you know, group to a certain size. Um, and we've seen eagles there each of the last two years, uh, usually an adult. Um, which is nice because they're easy to spot with that beautiful white head. Um, and, and they hang out and they watch the ice fishermen, although this year I, I don't know how many, hopefully. Let's hope. That's <laughs> why they're coming. <laughs> out there on the ice. But, um, and, and so we observe the eagles. We talk about the eagles. We, we give the kids a chance to see how big their wings really are, how big their eyes would be if they were the size of a human head. Um, we'll be, you know, talking about how big the nests are. Uh, hopefully seeing some of these eagles and then um, towards the end of the program horizon wings uh, comes and they bring atka Um, and it's it's i think it's uh, a joy for for not only us but it's i think atka really enjoys it because he's always there he's like looking around he's like wow i'm outside (laughs) i'm somewhere new um so um it's a great program and then we do them every month so in february um Excuse me, towards the end of February, Ranger Bill is going to be um, talking about animal tracking. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing letterboxing in March. We're going to be do, uh, do f- uh, fishing uh, with Trout Unlimited in April. Yeah. Um, so we have, have a lot of great programs lined up all year long. Fran Kafalos, Associate Director, Assistant Director of the Last Green Valley, along with Chief Ranger Bill Reed from TLGV, and also Brian Hess with the Connecticut DEP Wildlife Biologist, talking about the Bald Eagle Survey that comes up this Saturday and just other things about the birds and other programs with the Last Green Valley. Always enjoy this program, folks. Thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us.